0: presented by at&t connecting changes everything
1: it's brand new season two Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking.
4: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, from my heart and from my hands, why don't people understand my intentions? I'm Jonathan Strickland.
5: I'm Lauren Vogelbaum.
4: And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to talk a bit about Maker Fair and invention and DIY and inventiveness. We, we talked about this in our last podcast that we're really going to kind of concentrate on the fun, wacky stuff that you can see. Um, sometimes stuff that doesn't have any practical application, but... So is should, cool. Should that matter? Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, Maker Faire is really all <laughs> about the spirit of do-it-yourself work, and it's also all about expression. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, "Hey, I built this amazing robot that can uh, climb trees, and maybe one day it'll have this practical application." It's more about look at this amazing idea I had and the implementation of it.
6: Yeah, and one point I wanted to make in the video, and and I think we should make here also is that it's sort of an artificial distinction that between the like just the fun inventions and the really practical inventions. On one hand, yes in the moment like you're not going to be able to use a fire-breathing wolf for anything all that useful, but
4: the <laughs> process,
5: speak for yourself, Joe. <laughs>
6: well, yeah, I mean,
4: yeah, for uh, for Lauren's uh, robotic reenactment of Game of Thrones, a fire-breathing direwolf is key. <laughs>
6: I like that you specify it's a dire wolf and not just like a gray wolf.
4: Well,
5: yeah. Very important.
6: Uh, what was I saying?
4: <laughs> you were saying that the practical...
5: Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah well, yeah. It's,
6: it's the same spirit. And as we talked about in our previous podcast, the, the two modes of invention
4: feed into each other. Yes.
6: Yeah,
5: tinkering around with stuff just for fun can, can lead into some really terrific, uh, useful inventions. And the other way around.
4: Yeah. yeah. So Maker Fair usually ends up looking like a really kind of crazy uh, art festival combined with like
5: performance space
4: performance art there's a little bit of burning man kind of going on there <laughs> sure
5: sure and and there's, there really is i it's, mean yeah, it's like, okay. also very kid friendly they also have a uh, host a lot of like at the 2013 one out in san francisco i know that they had like a soldering tent that you could anyone could line up and go in and learn how to solder stuff and yeah, it, you know
4: there's usually um a lot of uh, of uh, work around specific emerging technologies like 3D printing really became something beyond what just the the hobbyists knew about through Maker Faire. You know, you you would see Makerfair hosting these these groups that were making. Uh, Their own 3D printers, which, you know, I mean, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this, they're familiar with the idea. But just in case, a 3D printer uses plastic in very, very, very thin layers to build objects from, well, the ground up is kind of a way of saying it. It's additive. It's additive manufacturing. Yeah, you're only putting in what you need for whatever the the final build is. And it's really useful for stuff like, in, in manufacturing, it's useful for prototyping, right? So... You come up with a design, you design it on a computer. You don't know if this design actually is going to work in the real world. You need to make a prototype of it. And
5: so you send this 3D model to a 3D printer. And... Yeah, if you
4: do it with a 3D printer, then you can get a model in a very short amount of time, and you don't have to worry about uh, an error in the machining process. You know, it's it, and or then hiring
5: you're... a sculptor or yeah,
4: yeah, you don't have to sculpt it first, and then yeah, you know, it cuts out a lot of uh, steps, and it also cuts down on waste. And then you can see if your prototype works well. In the DIY sphere, people are using 3D printers to build parts for all sorts of stuff. So we've seen some really cool applications of that. Not to mention, we've seen some really interesting actual 3D printers being built by people who show up at Maker Faire, and they say, "Well, you know, here's our 3D printer. We designed it this way." And uh, uh, there are a lot of people who are working on open source projects. That With the goal being that ultimately you have a printer that can more or less print itself or at least well, most of the parts.
6: Yeah, exactly. It can't print itself assembled, but it can print most no, of the parts No, no,
4: No, in, in most cases what we're talking about with 3D printers is that you're printing out pieces that you mm-hmm. would then assemble into a final overall piece no mm-hmm. moving parts yeah
5: or yeah. just just very inexpensive 3d printers some of them uh you know like around $300 or under $300 yeah right around there the yeah
6: god that's crazy $300 mm-hmm. yeah well, uh, we're now, talking
4: about stuff that used to be in the twenty thousand, fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollar range.
6: Yeah. Now the ones I was looking at at Maker Faire that are three hundred dollars; these are the really basic ones. Yeah. So sure. they're they're small, and they're not going to get the level of size or resolution you get with a bigger, more expensive printer. Right. Right. Yeah. But, the the layers might the be fact thicker. That you can do it for that amount of money it blows my mind.
4: Right. And there there are a lot of different examples of stuff now. I've actually been to a Maker fair event, but it was one that was hosted here in Atlanta at Georgia Tech. It's a much smaller scale than the ones you see in New York and San Francisco. There's even – there's a big one that happens in Detroit.
5: Uh, and um, around the world, too. They've got them globally now.
4: Right. Yeah, so it's beyond just, uh, those, those cities. The one here in Atlanta was, again, a, a smaller scale, but it was a, and it was mostly dominated by robotics, which mm-hmm. not a big for surprise. Georgia Tech. Georgia yeah. Tech, yeah. That's a, uh, an in- engineering school, so there was, uh, quite a bit from them. Though a lot of
6: the cool stuff I've seen from Maker Faire has been robotics oriented.
4: Right, the know. steel wolf that can yeah. breathe fire the and has wireless r-
6: controls. Responsive
5: uh, robot giraffe.
6: Robotic bartender. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, bartendro.
4: Mixed drinks for yes. you. Yeah, uh there's the walking pod. Did you see this? No, I don't think uh, so. What is it? The walking pod was uh it's it's a moving spider-like device. It's essentially the pod is large enough to camp in because that's what the guy was s- sleeping in while he, he originally took it to uh, Burning Man, but he also took it to a Maker Fair. Um and it has uh I think 12 legs, so 6 in front, 6 in the back, and uh it moves fairly slowly, but it uses 290 volt half horsepower electric motors to move its legs and it <laughs> crawls along and looks like it's the stuff out of nightmares but uh it's pretty interesting um i've seen also a lot of different sculptures and kinetic sculptures and flame producing sculptures flames are really popular and <laughs> anything that can shoot fire automatically gets a big uh response from the crowd can I tell you one of my favorite things
6: I've seen? Please. Oh, I loved it. The, the Architect singing Tesla coil.
4: Yeah, I've actually seen these uh, in person. Uh, architect has, has traveled around. Uh, they have they appeared on one of those, um, like, America's Got Talent-type shows. Oh, uh, cool. I remember they were on one of those as well. But uh, Architect, yeah, they use Tesla coils to generate this high-voltage electricity, and then they uh, can create these audible frequencies mm-hmm. of electricity and change the pitch of that based upon the voltage
5: yeah. to make music. Yeah,
6: What it seems like, the, the key is that they're using solid state Tesla coils, which you can manipulate digitally. Right. Um, so if you can program a synthesizer or any kind of digital music producer mm-hmm. to communicate with that Tesla coil, you can get it to spark a note. Right. And so you can program in any kind of song you want really.
4: Yeah. uh, When uh, it
6: sparks you hear the sound.
4: Here in Atlanta they appeared at a Dragon Con a few years ago and uh, they they quickly won over the crowd by playing famous science fiction themes
5: <laughs> like the Doctor Who theme. the Doctor Who yeah. theme yeah, yeah there's, mm-hmm.
4: there, and if did you, wanted, did you get in the cage no they didn't have the cage at that
5: point oh, they didn't, well, they the didn't cool do the thing. Yeah, these, the these version days, I saw yeah. right yeah they've got a they've got a Faraday cage that they'll put in the center of this a Faraday cage of course being something that will um, that will conduct electricity around an object rather than frying it directly mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's an oversimplification right
4: but, but um, yeah it's the same sort of thing that people have suggested Movie theaters install so that you can't get any uh, cell phone reception <laughs> within a movie theater.
5: Wow. Yeah, just put
4: put the whole movie theater within a faraday cage and then you don't have to worry about people uh-huh. checking their phones all the time. Nice. You, That's uh, a good idea. Actually, yeah,
5: I would totally approve of that. Other than, you know, in case of emergency. But uh but but yeah, so so they'll have this faraday cage up on stage and they can let so let a member of the audience go up and stand in it and and have all of the uh, electricity sparks from the tesla mm-hmm. coils going directly onto the surface of the they, cage. They've and, also
4: created special suits that you can wear that uh now granted, they don't let audience members just volunteer and wear this, but they (laughs) Uh have had uh, a member of Architect wearing this suit where they, it looks like they are shooting lightning from their hands. I've seen them use that in particular for a moving rendition of the Imperial March from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> which makes sense, right? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I can show you the video after this. Uh, all yeah. this is on YouTube, by the way. Just go on YouTube and check out Architect.
5: I'm sorry. I want musical Palpatine in my life so much. Well, that's so... that's I'll, at least, okay, I'll send cool. you the link
6: so you can at least oh, live vicariously see. through that. Like, yeah, like the lightning, the force lightning. Uh-huh. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, Joe's wow. caught up. Uh Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't mention before you were talking about force lightning. No, I, I,
4: you're right. I, I didn't mention force lightning, but that was exactly what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just like uh I wasn't like,
6: thinking about Palpatine. I was just thinking about the Empire. Right. Know. Right.
4: Yeah. Uh, I was. I was thinking of the Emperor in particular. But yes, that is that is the case. So, uh but they they in a one episode of, or not one episode one performance that architect was at, they had uh, uh, one of our. Distant colleagues join in and, uh, and I remember that their, their, um profile shot up after this because Grant Imahara of the Mythbusters was mm-hmm. on stage, and he was the one put in the Faraday cage during <laughs> one of the architect performances. Nice.
6: Oh, man, so I'd cool. love to be in that cage. And
4: actually, Grant Imahara, he's a good example of one of the people who often participates in these kind of events. So does uh, Adam Savage. He's actually done several like keynote addresses at Maker Fairs to talk mm-hmm. about the spirit of invention and making and this idea of inventing. Uh, they Both of them are known for it. Their inventions. I mean, Grant Amahar is probably better known for building robots for robot battle type things. But, uh, Adam Savage has done, if you do an Adam Savage, uh, search for Adam Savage in Maker Fair, you're gonna see a whole bunch of different talks that he's given yeah, yeah. that are really inspiring about the, the spirit of making stuff. Yeah, yeah,
5: the spirit of, of going like, I wanna put this thing together. How does it do? Yeah,
4: he says, he says, I want everyone to go out there and fail big and fail better. The idea being that don't let someone telling you that, you know, the thing you want to do is impossible stop you from doing it because, you know, you don't really know it's impossible until you've given it your absolute best. And even then, you know, you might you you could prove it wrong. So um, cool stuff.
5: Yeah, yeah. Uh, For for the generalized record, the Maker Faire uh, debuted in 2006, I believe, Mm -hmm. and uh, in San Francisco and and as we have said, has gone global since then. Yep, um, it
4: gets bigger every year. I know a lot of our colleagues out in San Francisco cover this every single year when it when they yeah, have Revision a make a Three event.
5: and uh, uh like Techzilla and all those kids have some really great, really great um
4: videos and and yeah coverage of it. Uh, one of my favorite things that came out of it was not really it wasn't even a um a huge head turning invention. You know, it wasn't like a, a fire breathing wolf or a giant walking pod. It was a concept that really just uh, encourages that whole sense of innovation and invention, which is the Nerdy Derby. So uh-huh. the, the, the Nerdy n- Derby. The Nerdy Derby. So, uh, Joe, were you ever a Cub Scout? Yeah, I was. Do you, do you remember the Pinewood Derby races? I did
6: not participate in those, but I know what you're talking right, about. So- you, you make a – box car that has
4: no engine rolls down a hill. Yeah, it's, oh, a, little, okay. yeah, it's a slot car race. Essentially. Okay, sure. So, uh th- but it has very specific rules. Like your your, your car ca- has to fit within a certain set of parameters. It can't be too small. It can't be too light. It has to fit within the certain. No uh, nitro. No nitro. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no uh, oil slicks or yeah. weird spy hunter technology. Yeah. But no, mostly it's no turtle, chains
5: or clubs. N- no yeah. turtle shells or stars. <laughs> right. I'm,
4: I think we've covered all of the variations now. <laughs> uh but it has the point is it has rules nerdy derby does not
6: oh wow so nerdy Derby's, so it's like twisted metal up in there
4: <laughs> well not really because it's still it's still not although there's no rule about i mean it's still a slot car race right so it's uh-huh. still you're still putting it in a a, a little uh um, predetermined track so the goal is still to get down to the end of that track faster than the uh, uh competing cars but you can use heat seeking missiles I technically i suppose so um i don't know how you would implement that in a way that would be safe i think you can't do anything that would kill anybody oh okay but anyway there are rules it's called no rules miniature car building mr semantics so anyway it's 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 done out of nyu uh it's out of their interactive telecommunications program actually Uh uh-huh and um the uh you can either design and build your car and then bring it there to race or if you really want to you can just show up and build your car while you're there and then race it i saw some really interesting designs in a video showing it off and uh and i like this idea because again it's not like a, a huge invention that captures everyone's imagination it's more like continuing to uh to to inspire this innovative spirit in others um, probably the best Invention I saw, at least as far as I'm concerned, I mean, there, there are lots of great ones. Amazing inventions. But the one that I saw where I thought, I want to try this out, was actually created by a bunch of high school students, which already blew my mind. It was high school students who built a Flight simulator that has two axes of movement and 360 degrees of freedom within those two axes, meaning that you can rotate in essentially every direction. So you can do barrel rolls or you can do loop-the-loops in this thing and all combinations thereof. And it's called the Viper. The reason it's called the Viper is it's inspired by Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> so it's named after the ship, the vi- the, the type and of the ship type in of the, ship, the Battlestar yeah. Galactica, the Viper. And so... Uh, they developed everything about this flight simulator, including, you know, they, they used tools that already preexisted. existed They used a, an open source flight simulator to be the basis of the flight simulator part. But they had to program their own skin on top of it, and their own, uh, uh, they had to, to map the movements of this physical flight simulator to the game. They have all, all these Arduino uh, modules that are controlling basic elements of this, including uh, set dressing. They create set dressing of all these blinky lights to give you more of a feeling that you're inside the cockpit of a spaceship. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they use three computer displays to be your your windows, so they're you know it, it's like you're looking out into space. And you have a joystick and a thruster that are your your actual physical controls and a control panel that lights up, so that it looks like again that you're inside the cockpit of a space uh, spaceship. And, uh, and they're high school students. Like, the guy who was talking about the, um, the flight simulator was in eighth grade.
5: <laughs> wow. Um,
4: you know, high school students who have built something that when I saw it, I thought I would pay good money to have a run in that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I would love to, to fl- take that for a flight. But that's the kind of spirit we're talking about is this idea of, you know, if I were – back when I was in high school, if someone had told me that, you know, I could get with a bunch of my friends and build a flight simulator that had all these degrees of movement and everything in it, I would have thought they were crazy.
5: I would have said, I'm really busy watching cartoon sushi. Can can you get back to me later? <laughs> yeah, so you –
4: know, My high school experience was different because I was thinking um, – Tiny Tunes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> similar similar experience, just different different content. Uh, but there were a lot of other projects that I looked at that I liked. I liked the Pancake Bot. Did you guys see this? I did oh, not. Oh, I think so. That sounds familiar. Pancake Bot was made out of. You guys know that you know Lego makes these kits where you can get the, robotics. The Mindstorms. Yeah, and it's, mm-hmm. it's got. It, it comes with a a uh, a programmable module that you can you can use. It has a very simple computer programming language that comes with it, or you can even use more complex languages if you want to. I think
6: I saw a tiny, uh,
4: remote control planetary rover made from a Lego Mindstorms
6: kit. That's pretty cool.
4: We've, we actually saw some uh, robot battles here in the office, uh, during a Christmas party that were run by these, these, um, these modules. Well, in this case, uh, Miguel Valenzuela built a Lego robot that makes pancakes. <laughs> and, and what it does, what it does, there's a griddle that it is built around. So there's a griddle in the center, and then you have a moving arm that holds a squeeze bottle of pancake batter, and the moving arm can squeeze the bottle uh, with just enough force to get exactly the amount of pancake batter you need to make whatever kind of pancake you want. And you can program different patterns in, so you can make pancakes of different shapes. So there was a video where he was making them essentially in Mickey Mouse shapes, but then uh-huh. also in other more complex shapes. And, um, uh, it was really entertaining. And that was just a cute little project that was the, the, you know, again, no real practical use. It would be a way easier for you to make a um, pancake just by putting batter directly on the griddle. <laughs> in sure. a way, we're kind of t- talking about the same sort of spirit that we see in Rube Goldberg devices, mm-hmm. right? Well, I mean, some of these things though
6: they seem kind of silly, but they have a surprising functionality. Like um, I mentioned the robot bartender earlier, uh, so okay, you can make your own drinks, whatever. You know, it seems like it's just for fun. But one thing that's cool I noticed about the robot bartender is it can make you a drink with the correct proportions of everything in any size you want right right right. so So you can have a
5: one ounce manhattan or or a seven ounce manhattan and it's all the same to the machine it's just you know you're saying you're it's plugging in mathematically the proportions of what it's serving to you
6: exactly so you can make yourself an extremely tiny or an extremely large cocktail uh, and it it does the same no matter what whereas right. people are using these like you know oh well, I have a shot glass and you know
4: right right i need one part of this to four parts of that to two parts yeah. of this other stuff whereas this thing can do all the math and make it Make it like the mathematically perfect cocktail. Right, <laughs> yeah.
5: right. And and if you put that in, say, an industrial kitchen or um or in some kind of chemistry yeah. lab, then that could have definite applications yeah. beyond getting people drank.
6: Yeah. yeah I, 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 oh no, no, no. I could see it. people could even make a lot of money getting people drank off of it, <laughs> right? They they put one of these in at a TGI Fridays and it's serving up drinks three times faster. Well, you think
4: about it. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of the alcoholic version of those crazy soft drink dispensers that you can get now where you get the hundred different flavors out of one soft drink dispenser. Sure, sure. Um, yeah.
6: Suicide machine.
4: Yes, that's exactly. (laughs) By the way, suicide, for those of you who don't know. We're talking about the kind of drink where you just mix everything together to get whatever it was that you know, they like, know, Jonathan. <laughs> I don't. Everybody's know. <laughs>
6: been a kid once.
4: Yeah, but do they all? Because now when I hear Suicide Machine, I think uh Futurama, and I think oh, the Suicide. Oh, no. yeah,
6: that's right. Separate, I, like, they're both joyful.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, at least Bender seemed to get a kick out of both. Um Yeah, it's it, there. There are other great examples. I, oh, there's one that was more of on the artistic side than on the um the um, mechanical engineering side. And I wanted to get your, uh, your, your reaction to this. Although really to get a true reaction, you have to watch the video to see how disturbing this is. <laughs> I, I don't know that I can paint a picture of how creepy I found this particular uh, exhibit to be. But it's called the I Want To project by Lai Wu Kang, who uh, uh, created this interactive exhibit. And the exhibit, what it does is it pulls in Twitter, uh, well, tweets, I guess you would say. Uh, that have either the phrase, I want to or I have to included in them. So it just, it does a search essentially on Twitter every so often and pulls in tweets that have these phrases in it. You get a robotic voice that reads this out. There's actually a monitor that shows this in really low resolution, uh, the, the actual tweets. So think of like a, a, like 1980s era Computer where you get that really primitive looking text, you know the, mm-hmm. the low the, res the stuff, good, yeah,
5: yeah. So monochrome screen, yeah, and also. it's a
4: robotic voice that kind of harkens back to that as well. Is and it then, green text? No, or? it's actually light blue, oh. light blue text. Um,
5: for Twitter, sure.
4: Oh, uh, I see. but it also has uh this little army of tiny little robots that all look identical that are are on uh. They're each on a a stationary little pedestal, so they don't walk around or anything, but they all look kind of like, you know, kind of like a puppet would if you just let go of the strings and it kind of slumps over. So imagine all these little slumped over figures. The machine reads out the tweet, and then all the figures slowly move around for about 10 seconds in kind of a what looks to be a pretty random fashion. And then they stop moving until it reads out the next one, and then they all move, and then they stop moving. The idea behind this was actually that Kong was saying, when you say, I want to, or you say, I have to, how much of that is an internal thought Versus the kind of pressures you receive from external sources like society and culture. Like, I want to get married. How much of that is from actually you like you as a person as opposed to what society expects you to do. And so mm-hmm. this idea was every time it says I want to it says, or it says I have to, you have this crowd of robots that all move together suggesting that maybe this isn't something that actually originates from within yourself but rather is something that is influenced by outside by a larger
5: machination of yeah. sure. And yeah. it,
4: and and uh boy, you know, I
5: No, it sounds like The Nightmares of Dave McKean. I mean, honestly, that sounds terrifying. You
4: know, my sister is a professional puppeteer, so I've seen some really kind of innovative, crazy theater that's all uh, puppetry based. And some of the stuff is really effective, especially the things that kind of make you feel uh, disassociated with what it is to be human. And it's just a sort of odd, uncanny valley kind of feeling. This is what... That, that kind of gave me this feeling here. And the robots, by the way, they don't look like people. They look like little robots. I mean, they don't, you know, the, the heads are more rectangular than round, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Humanity's an illusion. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> a little, but it was, but it was an interesting <laughs> I'm thing. I'm just kidding. It was, it was very much more of an artistic expression than, um, you know, this is a feat of engineering.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Not that it can't be both.
6: No, that's interesting. So what is the future of stuff like this the sort of the the home design the diy the the hobbyist invention, inventor mentality mm-hmm.
5: well i think it's it's interesting that um a, a year after maker fair really got off the ground um and in 2007 indiegogo was founded and a couple of years later in 2009 kickstarter was founded yeah and these organizations are I, businesses i suppose are um are very much into promoting the work of people like this and and making it financially feasible
6: yeah promoting or enabling yeah Uh yeah uh there I, i have a couple of stats here just about the kind of amazing success people can have with crowdfunding uh one of the things i i found on uh kickstarter was one of their highest earning things the oculus rift right we've talked about that before yeah
4: that's the the uh the headset that allows you to get sort of a 3d first person view of virtual world so it's kind of like what we think of when we hear the phrase virtual reality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and jonathan you've used one of these haven't i you? did it uh, mm-hmm. was it pretty cool it was it was really cool yeah i mean it was amazing there and the oculus rift is one of those things that the The promise is that it will be able to work with multiple systems mm-hmm. so that
5: it's being talked about being used for gaming,
4: yeah, mostly okay. for gaming, like you could see it being used for other uh applications as well, but for, as a gaming element, I could see it being really cool. i mean, I had fun playing in a in a fairly uh primitive world it was it was designed so that it would give you this experience of being in a, a you know this first person perspective, but it wasn't like a um, like a graphically rich world, but the Oculus Rift can do that. So, yeah. you know, imagine being able to run around one of the the top games. Like the one I want to play in is Skyrim. I want to or Elder yeah. Scrolls. I want to yeah. run around and and All
5: those big MMOs. It's yeah. just gorgeous be, and, and fantastical. If you,
4: yeah, if you ever play any of these these games on on the the current generation or the next generation systems, the level of detail and the artistry that goes into level design and world design is really impressive and it's one thing to see that from you know a third person perspective behind a character or even a first person perspective but you're still looking at a screen it's another thing to feel completely immersed in that world and you you develop a level of appreciation for the skill of the artists who designed this thing that goes well beyond just wow that's a pretty game
6: mhm so the oculus rift on Kickstarter. Yep. Got crowdf- crowdfunded, right? Asked for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, got two million four hundred and thirty seven thousand four hundred and wow. twenty-nine dollars. Yep. yep. Uh, yeah, that's another another simple little little tech uh project, the Pebble ePaper watch. Mine's on order. Huge hit. Uh they asked for a hundred thousand dollars,
4: got ten point two million. Yeah, part of that was that. You know, the way Kickstarter works is, you know, for, for someone who creates a project, they're supposed to create rewards that go along with that project. Mm-hmm. So if you contribute at a certain level, you should expect to receive a certain reward for your, for your investment, your contribution really. Mm-hmm. It's not an investment. They, they're very careful to call it that. <laughs> right. um, so one of the things we started to see is that for, for groups that are putting together an actual product, mm-hmm. not just some sort of project like you know I wouldn't say that a, a play for example if you wanted to produce a play I think of that as a project not a product though people fund stuff like that on Kickstarter
5: oh sure, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, music and, and uh, theater and right. the
4: movies but yeah. if it's if it's anything that's a physical product of some sort, or even a digital product of some sort, then generally they include that as one of the the reward Rewards, levels, right? Yeah. Well, in the case of Pebble, uh, and in the case of most of these, you would get at a certain level, you would get a, a uh, one of these products, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, usually it ends up being at a discounted price as to, uh, compared to what the suggested retail price will be of the finished product. So it gives an incentive to people to back a project. You know, not only do people get the satisfaction of backing something that they think is really awesome and they want to see it happen, but then they can also get pre-order basically. Yeah. yeah, Pre-order of something for less money than what it will be when it's out, you know, on store shelves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So
6: I I think crowdfunding has been a big hit Mm -hmm. and is going to continue to make, um, Designing technology, especially for the little guy, um, an easier thing. Now, one thing I do want to comment on is that I think there has started to be, and y'all might agree, some backlash against crowdfunding because of things like... Uh, people funding projects and then not getting the stuff that they were promised. There, and, there are a lot of reasons. Uh, that's yeah, one of them. It's,
5: it's been abused, I think, a little bit. And, and ab- ab- abuse is maybe a strong word, but, um, you know, by by the kinds of people who could easily get funding for their projects from other sources. Oh, yeah, and, If you're and, a and, movie
6: star, say, you and know. It, and it
5: winds up flooding, you know, kind of, kind of, artificially inflating the market in a way that I think takes attention away from. There are uh, there, smaller people who might not be able to get their funding. Elsewhere. There
4: are some people who let's say that you're a person who has an unsuccessful campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of those. I, I did a campaign on Kickstarter that failed to fund. Uh, there are some people among the, that group who say who blame large, like high profile projects that already have a crazy following. Uh, for taking away money from smaller projects, as if it's a zero sum game. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a zero sum game. Yeah, um, I do think, it's more
5: complicated than that. Absolutely right.
4: I don't blame. I don't blame the fact that my Kickstarter project didn't take off on the fact that the Veronica Mars movie was funded. <laughs> like I, I don't. Sure, it's Kristen be. Bell's fault. <laughs> yeah. And and if if I ever run into her, that's fine. You'll give uh, her an earful. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be like. Ms Bell your success has has made it clear that my failure is even greater than I <laughs> think no not at all not at all um, but uh, you know that's one one aspect uh-huh. then there are, there are other ones like uh, one that was a little controversial which is not a big surprise because these guys deal in controversy all the time is the Penny Arcade Kickstarter right they right. a Kickstarter campaign in order to uh, run Penny Arcade ad free. For a year, I think, was the full, like, if they hit all their stretch goals, it was a full year of Penny Arcade with no ads on the page. And there, there were people who said, that's not really what Kickstarter's for. Now, that's, that may be true, but Kickstarter has to approve every project before it's, it's featured on Kickstarter, mm. or else you don't get a project. So, Ultimately someone at Kickstarter said this is a perfectly acceptable use of our service
5: and, and whether that's because having folks like Penny Arcade and Amanda Palmer and Kristen Bell um, promoting Kickstarter or whether it's really the most appropriate project for the site is an argument that I will not make here because well, it would you could well. also if you're, if you're
4: really <laughs> cynical, Then you say, well, the way Kickstarter makes its money is by getting a percentage of however much the person raises. And if it's a high-profile project, they're going to possibly raise way more money, which means more money for the company. That's if you're being cynical.
6: Criticisms aside, I do think crowdfunding represents a a lot of potential for for small-scale tech developers.
4: Yeah, we wouldn't have have seen the Ouya game console, which, as we're recording this podcast, it's going to be a couple weeks before this Mm -hmm. comes out. But as we're recording it, it's just now hitting retailers and has already sold out. But the reason why that exists at all is because Kickstarter funded it. And that's another example of overfunding where yeah. I think they got oh, like sure. $8 million from Kickstarter <laughs> and they were asking for 100000 It was crazy. <laughs>
5: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as of right now on Indiegogo, the um, scan a Scout, which is a uh, non-invasive biofeedback, um, it, it can take your temperature and your heart rate and, and a whole bunch of other uh biosignals from you within 10 seconds from holding it up to your forehead with your thumb and forefinger um and and it's it's being funded on indiegogo right now and i think it's you know it's being called a tricorder and how crazy is that like how i and it's you know it's it's definitely along those lines
6: here here's the question if you've got a tricorder why do you really need a doctor
5: well, you know, because you can you can diagnose yourself from home, or, or you can you can say, oh, hey, I'm totally sick from home, and then you need to go to a doctor. That's is,
4: that's kind of like Damn asking, it, man, that's, my- that's, like, that's <laughs> like asking like if you've got WebMD, why would you ever go to a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> Joe WebMD, I, I'm gonna okay. have to start saying this every every podcast. You gotta go in the corner and sit out the rest of this one. Um, Lauren, take the axe away from him. <laughs> X is not. That's just a joke. Lauren's had the X the whole time. Um, yeah. So I mean, but I agree that crowdfunding is definitely definitely something that uh, will enable future tinkerers to really kind of indulge in this in this innovative spirit. And not all not all projects are going to be mm-hmm. ones that. Are going to require crowdfunding. Oh in the first no, place. no!
6: But I, I think it's a good tool. Sure, and I think it's going to enable a lot of stuff. And, it, and,
4: and I'm sorry, go ahead.
6: Well, I was going to mention another thing, but did you have something? Else I was to- just
4: going to say that you made the point in our video that also that uh, that the information on just the basics oh, of yeah. inventing and tinkering are out there. You've got all sorts of websites that tell you how to do various projects, and they can go all the way from beginning. To you know the basic elements of soldering and 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 electronics and welding and all this kind of stuff, all the way up to advanced techniques where you're talking about fine tuning uh, uh, a really intricate project. Even software, there are a lot of ways to learn coding online.
5: Mm -hmm. And and also products like the Raspberry Pi are making things like this very Mm -hmm. easy for people. Yeah. Yeah, in
4: fact, that the whole purpose of the Raspberry Pi was the guy who who created that. Uh, He saw that there was a decreasing amount of understanding around basic programming skills because uh, our our technology is getting more and more sophisticated and complex, which means that there's a higher barrier to learning how it works, Mm -hmm. right? When you had a very simple computer, Relatively speaking, it was easier to learn how it worked. It still was not like, oh, well, you know, well, it was like also, banging rocks it was, together. It was but. also
5: cheaper to build your own in those days than it was to buy one pre-made. Yeah. So, well,
4: yeah, depending upon how you're, what you're shopping for, that can still be true today. But.
5: Huh. Uh, true.
6: Another way of saying it, I, I would say it's probably easier to learn basic than it is to learn C plus or you know. Well, like that.
4: sure, there's that too. But so, so the Raspberry Pi so as you is,
6: develop complexity and, and yeah. power, you also develop difficulty
4: right and, well, and the Raspberry Pi's purpose was to create a very basic computer on a chip that people who were interested in programming could play with and learn the basics uh, and it would be a very uh uh easy entry level way of getting into programming. And I've seen some crazy mods for Raspberry Pis. Like, you know, the the basic one's just a chip that you can then hook up to a display and then some other things like a keyboard or a mouse. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's it. But there are people who have made their own custom cases for it. There are people who are using them in robotics. Same thing is true with the Arduino microcontrollers, which have been used in a lot of different really cool DIY uh, projects, so yeah, the 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 tools have become uh, much more accessible for a much larger audience. So I expect the future of tinkering just to go crazy. We're going to see some really creative projects.
6: Yeah, it, it, the big tool I think here really is 3D printers. Also, right, and the reason that's a big tool. And I want to be careful to say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying. 3D printers are going to turn everybody's house into a factory. That, right. Where mm-hmm. you're just we're like, not going to
5: be printing our own like, clothes and food and or, tables or, or, anytime yeah, yeah. soon. Um,
6: Johnny
4: Johnny, put a scratch on the table, so let's just print a new one, um, one.
6: Or especially more complex machinery. But one thing that I think is really interesting, I was watching a video somebody made uh, for Maker Faire, and they were selling a, a very cheap, very basic 3D printer that they'd made uh, that was a new low-cost option, and what they said was they wanted to make tools for makers. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Because a, a 3D printer is kind of the perfect tool for a maker. It allows rapid prototyping, like we were saying earlier, in a way that, that other things don't. You know, if you need a a specially shaped molded part to go on the thing you're building, well, how would you get that before? I mean, you'd probably have to, like, send off to somewhere to make you a batch of these. It'd take longer, it'd be more expensive... With a 3D printer, you can prototype rapidly in your own home.
4: Right. Yeah, which is which,
6: which makes designing that much easier. Right,
4: because then you know, Adam Savage, like we said, you know, he's saying fail big and and fail better. Mm-hmm. Well, part of that is this the fact that we have created we being you know engineers have created these amazing tools that allow us to try lots of different stuff in quick succession. So if you do a design and you realize after you've created it and you've, you've got all the parts that it doesn't quite work the way you intended and that you need to tweak that design, it's a lot easier to do that now than it was before. So you don't have to worry about going through the whole prototype process from beginning to end, still not knowing if it's going to work and going and making a very wasteful uh, amount of, of byproduct in the process. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all of that is really pointing toward this amazing future of tinkering and expression that I cannot wait to see. Well, that wraps up this discussion about Maker Fair, inventing, DIY. If any of you guys out there have amazing projects that you've worked on, I know that uh, I've, I've encountered listeners before who have really gotten into this sort of scene, and they've made some phenomenal stuff. If you have participated in these sort of projects, let us know. We want to see it. We want to hear about it. We're, we'll be happy to... Uh, mention you on, on forward thinking because we've got a real healthy interest in this and respect for everybody who really participates. Yeah, to get in touch with us, why don't you send us an email? The address is fwthinking at discovery.com and go to fwthinking.com. Check out the blogs, the videos, the podcasts, and all the articles that we've linked to. There's some great stuff out there that I think you guys will find really entertaining. And we will talk to you again really soon.
1: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new. Season 2.
3: then listen to marketing school every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Oh hi, I'm Rachel Zoe. And my podcast Climbing in Heels is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women. And this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.